You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is to stir with love. I'm Aprom Kipolevich. As you know, this is Tales from Prison, and I'm here with, as usual, Rabbi Yitzchak who is the chief of chaplaincy in Waymark Prison. And we're also joined today by someone who was intrigued by our program and has given me a lot of positive feedback. He's someone uh, who is connected, as I am, with the IDT Corporation, um, Mr. William Rapvogel, who has a, a personal knowledge of this subject and is able, I think, to enlighten us in ways that we otherwise wouldn't know. And I want to thank him for taking time out of his busy schedule uh, to be here with us tonight. Husband. So this is our Pesach program, and we're talking specifically about um, Pesach in prison and, and the difficulties and, and, and how we manage that. So uh, let's start with you, Yitzchak, and if you can maybe describe to Willie and myself and, and, and everyone uh, what, what things are going on yourself about Pesach for people in Weimart. Well, I, today I, uh, I went on last, last Thursday, went to the grocery store. They just opened a ShopRite branch in a closed Kmart in Music, Pennsylvania. And uh, I checked around some of the other stores and I noti- noticed that our old uh, New York, New Jersey uh, flag- flagship store ShopRite had much better prices and much more matzah available so i i got nine cases of matzah that the inmates are able to pay for on their own uh purchase and uh i was able to get them a better deal than last year was a dollar 60 a box and and this year was a dollar 35 a box uh and they're allowed to purchase up to six boxes um of matzah that you know I'll be distributing as soon as I get the cash slips from them and know that they have enough money in their accounts to distribute this to them. In addition to that, they'll be receiving matzah with their meals if they're signed up to receive kosher Pesach meals, which is easier than getting than signing up for a kosher diet all year. And then, um, we so in other words, have... they're allowed because they practice Judaism, they will be sent. Uh, pre-cooked meals, for, say from from Mazon or Meal Mart or something like that. Uh, well, they, then that's the ne- not every day of Pesach. It's uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Last year, because of COVID, they went above and beyond. They spent a little bit extra money. The the Department of Corrections, in order to have the uh, the matzah, the the like regular meals, you know, they had Pleshika meals every day. But generally, they get one meal, one of the Sidorim, they can get a Meal Mart, Amazing Meals, what we usually get supplied by the uh, Pennsylvania Northeast branch of, of the Olive Institute. And they, we, we purchase that, uh, either the inmates purchase it or what in our prison, uh, one of our other chaplains, who's, who's uh, actually our Jewish chaplain, even though I'm a, rab- I'm a rabbi, but I'm not the rabbi, I'm... You know, we have a rabbi who generally would come once a, once a week to, to give a shear for the guys. He's been there for 30 years, um, the, the Chabad Rav in, in Scranton. Uh, and we um, and he, he usually donates or his, his kahila donates to the to the uh, community that they're able to have that feast. And 
but uh, and it's very regulated what we're allowed to buy. We can't just get anything. We and everything is very very regimented. But so basically, the first seder, the guys just get grape juice and matzah and mara and charosis, the the mitzvah items, and then on the second night seder is when they'll have be mekayim shulchan aruch. The, the reason kind of we pick that is this way. If you have uh, some other groups that uh, their expressions of Judaism is not with our Messiah, uh, groups like Messianic or Hebrew Israelites and groups like that, they're only celebrating one Seder. So it kind of makes it a little bit easier uh, to say, so, you know. So, so, the, so the, the, the people who associate, and I don't know if they're not necessarily religious Jews, but at least for the Seder they are, they want to have a religious Jewish experience. Yitzchak, they're able to have a, a, a seder among themselves they can have in a special room uh, well, or... un, until covid they would go into the dining room uh you know just the whoever the jewish identified members are again that could include a lot of people who are not jewish and whose and, and then other and including people whose expressions of judaism is radically different than our own so and anyone can identify, choose to identify as Jewish. We don't, we don't really check their yichus or if they had a bris milah or bar mitzvah or anything like that. And uh, depending on how they identify, if if they identify as a traditional, you know, Orthodox, conservative, reform Jew, they can have, they would have both starim and the ones who identify. With these other groups that you know generally which have some christian uh underpinnings to them those uh those groups would only have one seder and like i said generally they one of the chaplains usually one of the christian chaplains would be there for the seder <laughs> night to to lead I'm, the seder huh so not not to lead the seder but just to make sure the guys are behaving themselves while they're there and they get served as food and the Actually, actually, the, the, the deacon who works with me, he said he was very disappointed because he was expecting to see an actual Seder because they had some kind of a model Seder in his church. And the, a lot of the guys who were there, they just wanted to eat and they didn't actually go through the Seder. So um, and, and so the last year and this year, the inmates, because of COVID, we our dining room has been closed. So they eat all the time, all, the, all their meals at their bed. Wow. Um, so it's really, it sounds even before COVID that at least in Waymart, it's, it's, it's not really much of what we look at as a typical Jewish Seder with uh, a leader and, 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 and reading from the Haggadah and, and, and at the, that point, it sounds pretty bare bones. Uh, they, they, could, they, they have time to read from the Haggadah. It's just that the guys choose not to. We don't have very you know, we don't. We have maybe one guy who really wants to read the Haggadah, and then uh, maybe this year some more. Them taking a little bit more serious, but over the years, a lot of the guys who were participating, and a lot of those were actually Jewish, um, were not as. Uh, it, it was their choice. You know, they could have had two, three hours to. I see. To conduct a seder, and they just want to eat and get it over with, and get I back see. to. Willie, I think that you're a little more familiar with what happens in New York State. Can you tell us oh, what uh, well, goes on there? New York State, the um, facilities are very, very different. I think the general um, guidelines at New York State facilities will permit places 
to allow Sudarim, will allow people to eat, again, be pre-COVID in, uh, for example, in the chapel or in the shul, if they have a shul in the facility, and to have the Sudarim there and have all their meals there, if you have a really effective chaplain slash rabbi, a cooperating chaplain who's not a rabbi, a superintendent or warden who is sympathetic and sensitive, uh, if you have those pieces come together, then New York State facilities will be uh, supportive and let people even stay later to have a Seder. So that, and oftentimes uh, what ends up happening is you may only have one, four, five. Uh, one thing about New York State facilities is they tend to prevent minyanim from assembling in the facilities because the guidelines that the State Corrections Department in New York provide is that if you have too many Orthodox Jews, they consider them a gang. So wow. the idea of minion <laughs> is a gang. If you start getting seven or eight Orthodox Jews in one facility in New York State, they start to transfer them out. They don't like that idea. Um, on, on Pesach, the tendency is um, that many people who are not eating kosher all year round, or some people who may not be Jewish but eat kosher because they think the kosher diet is better food, they'll definitely be coming for the seders. They'll be definitely coming for the kosher Pesach food because there, are, there tends to be those meal mart, mozon foods which are a lot better than the kind of canned tuna that's made into some sort of mishmash that looks like cat food that cats wouldn't eat. Um, that's the alternative. Now, again, I think having the effective um, Jewish chaplain and having cooperating non-Jewish chaplains are very important and having a warden or superintendent that cooperates and that's very good about religious accommodation is truly the key. Uh, because ultimately they can make it happen, make it a lot easier for people to have it happen. Another component in New York State that's, that's helpful in, in, in uh, you know, cases that I've been uh, witness to, there are some volunteer chaplains. Uh, there's one particular guy from Kyrgios Joel who is amazing. I mean, he literally spends half his week doing his work for Panasa. The other half of the week, he goes to different New York State prisons to learn with inmates. And when it comes to Pesach, Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, whatever it is, he will make sure that he will get additional food to the facility through the Jewish chaplain of the facility, but he will make sure to get it to the facility. Um, I know we're going to be talking about this topic a little bit later, which is the better integration of people who have been in prison into regular Jewish life, but one thing that can be done and that's so important is we have so many Jewish organizations who are always talking about chesed projects and things that they can do to help. And, and incidentally, you know, the whole concept of Tikkun Olam, which many of them see as helping, you know, people in Africa or helping African Americans and Hispanic Americans here in the United States, they could also be helping Jewish Americans and Hispanic Americans and African Americans, Asian Americans who are in prison. Very, very little effort has to be put into that if they want to help them by sending letters. So many inmates in prisons, and this is probably true around the country, if they don't have contact or don't have much family, they have nobody. Nobody who comes to visit them when there was a visiting day pre-COVID. Nobody who writes them. 
when mail call would come around, you'd see faces literally dejected that they didn't have any mail. You cannot begin to imagine. And again, this is Jewish, non-Jewish. And if, you know, uh, Hillel or B'nai B'rith Youth Organization or NCSY, any of these organizations, you want to have a project that is meaningful and that can make a difference in somebody's life and give them a positive perspective on their future, having that outside contact is so meaningful. Having them, you know, get matzahs delivered to a prison could be enormously important. And they could do this for other people as well. And, you know, you know, having that ability to do that for Pesach, you know, would be enormous. To, to I think that's great. And I think it's not only B'nai B'rith and Hillel. I know there are a lot of high schools uh, that, that ask kids to put in chesed hours and uh, writing letters and, and, and creating that connection, I'm sure, is crucial. Let me just ask you another thing, Willie. And, and Yitzchak, I want to get your input on this, too. Um, the night of the Seder is one thing. But what about if there's someone who wants to keep Pesach Kedaboy? Not just a straggler who wants to get the good meal mart food, but someone who really, he's made mistakes and he's ended in prison. He doesn't want to eat chametz, though. So what, what, is, is that a, a tough thing to be able to get, in, let's say, New York State? Is that a tough thing, Willie, to be able so, to? Again, it's going to depend on the facility. There are facilities that the Jewish chaplain is you know, frankly, really not, not on board. I mean, you know, he does what he can or she does what she can in some facilities and they try, but I've spoken to people who've been in prisons where there was not an aggressive or active Jewish chaplain where the warden couldn't care less and they were forced to eat literally at the same table where everybody else was sitting there and eating hummus. Yes, they gave them a uh, kosher Pesach meal to eat at that table, but the conditions were such that the person was in terrible discomfort, uh, you know, eating their matzah and egg while everybody else was having conversations, eating bread and cereal. Yitzchak, what about by you, about keeping Pesach the whole week? Does that, uh, does that cause any issues? Well, in Pennsylvania, everything is uniform. That's one major difference. I did interview once with a New York uh, prison and I was just, and it was after I was already um, employed at Waymart, and it was just, you know, it was something that might have been better for my family to be closer to the community and things. And uh, and I was kind of shocked at how disorganized New York is compared to uh, Pennsylvania. So on one hand, the New York uh, kosher diet is certainly much more robust than the Pennsylvania kosher diets, but it depends on the prison. There's there, in in Pennsylvania, they're very afraid that you're going to say, "Oh, this, they did this for me in Albion. Why aren't they doing it in Camp Hill?" So, or they did it in 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 the uh, you know in Green, and why isn't it done in Waymart? Whatever it is, so they want us to go by the book. They're, we're very regimented. Everything has to be uniform. And with that being said. Essentially, so when it comes to Pesach, the um, well, first of all, the whole year, the, the kosher diet, uh, the main protein is peanut butter. They don't get fish. They don't get meat. They don't get anything. It's peanut butter and a few, every day and a few times a week, there's cottage cheese and some beans. And wow. Pesach, so in other words, a person who says I'm a kosher person, that's that's his food, peanut butter. Peanut butter, you have... Fruits and vegetables that are uncut, 
they're not peeled, they're not cut. They get these a whole carrot, a whole uh, you know fruits are pretty more obvious, a, a, you know an apple or an orange, or banana, but that everybody gets. But the the vegetables and certain people, and I talk to people about this, like don't you know you really want this diet? And I'm surprised, especially uh, certain people maybe who are not Jewish, but they like that diet again because and it's a very Spartan bare bones diet that just meets the you know, it's and, and it's very concerned with, of course, making sure there's no cross-contamination. That's where there's no cutting. But anyway, with Pesach, because of that, uh, since they can't give peanut butter because it's kidney host, they can't give the cottage cheese. Well, they, the cottage cheese they give, they can't give the beans or kidney host. And the bread and the graham crackers and the cereal they give every day, they're giving, instead, they're giving uh, matzah, of course. But as far as um, the Pesach, <clears throat> diet, which again, it's easier to get, meaning you could wait three or four months in Pennsylvania to be approved for a kosher diet all year. But for Pesach, if you're listed as Jewish, you can request a Pesach diet, no questions asked. But the Pesach diet, basically they'll give uh, a baked potato, which you hope might be wrapped in foil, but the kitchens don't like foil because that could be a security risk. And uh, What's aluminum give, foil security risk? Uh, well, I don't want to get into that. Because okay, all right, good. I don't want you and, to tell the secrets. But yeah, yeah, and, yeah and, I'm fascinated uh, already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and the and the other and the other thing they give is hard boiled eggs. And the the question some people have is, well, why can't they give hard boiled eggs all year round, uh, at least uh, as an option? But then the problem with the hard boiled eggs uh, could be the way that they are prepared. Um, the uh, where the guidance that's given <clears throat> is the ideal is to have a designated pot that's only used for eggs, only used kosher for Pesach, and that's obviously the best the best option. But uh, that's not always possible, particularly like by us in Waymart, they have what's called an industrial kettle, which is something the size of a mikveh, and the the uh, suggestion is that they should kosher it before they prepare the eggs, even though it's Ben Yoimai and it's Pesach. I did ask my Pesach that I asked these questions about, and he told me that if it's stainless steel, there's an opinion that it does, that it has the same din as glass, that there's no bleas, and it's it's fine. It really doesn't need to be kashered at all. So if they if they do do some kind of Hagala, that's Ben Yoimai, it's... It, it doesn't need any hagola anyway, so it's it's mutter. But so, there so, was so, so even though the the big kettle is used for for the non for everybody, but and the it's used hard, for everything for covers for for tarfus for everything. But the the psak that I received is that it 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 could be it doesn't even need to be kosher as long as it's clean. Uh, there there's no bleas because stainless steel does is not by Leia. So they, they, they cook, but then they cook. Then someone like you makes sure the hard boiled eggs are cooked. What about what Willie was telling no, you? About? No, no, I'm not even allowed in there. You're I, not even allowed in there. No. I mean, what about what Willie was talking about uh, before? About uh, Mr. Affleck was talking before about um, about having to eat together with the other inmates. Of course, in COVID, everybody eats by their own bed. But pre-COVID and post-COVID. Uh, will they let the will they let the chaver who are keeping no. kosher Pesach yeah. eat separately? No, 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 no. They don't. They you know the Muslims get that with Ramadan just because of the time issue that Ramadan is, you know at least you know this year Ramadan is er so it's going to be 
you know, well after everybody else ate. So the Ramadan guys get to eat all together. But Pesach, the Sidarim are separate, but to eat during the rest of the week, generally everyone would eat together. But it looks like uh, most likely we're not, we're never going to go back to eating in, in the dining room. It's uh, They've seen that this method of, of feeding the guys on the block is more effective and, and more convenient for everybody. Well, definitely for the inmates, it's much better, but for the staff and for everybody, they found it to actually work better. So I, I don't think we're ever going to go back to eating in the dining room. It could, it could not be so. I'm not sure about that, but it, it looks like this is, and certainly less food is getting thrown away because everyone's, you know, nobody's like, oh, I don't feel like getting up and going to eat. Everybody gets the food delivered to them. So I, I, I don't want to be sappy about it, but, but I think when we talk before, as we leave this topic, I think uh, both of you can, 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 can confirm that the message of Pesach means so much to someone who is in chains or someone who is bound behind those iron bars <laughs> to hear, you know, right that when they say i'm sure it's it can bring out a very strong emotional chord for the people i i really wish that i could be there for for this for the say they're there i mean this year again they're not gathering but i i i have experienced yom kippur twice when i was a chaplain in the in the federal prison um, I spent a night in jail, but that's different. It wasn't Pesach. It was it was the Arts Center of Babzisha. It was uh, it was uh, Shvat, but uh, that my one night as an inmate. But the the um, I, I I would be interested to experience that at some time uh, in my life. But it's it, it when it was described to me how the inmates really weren't interested in having a a real seder again and. and in Petersburg, we had real Erlichiden who uh, unfortunately were incarcerated there in Virginia when I was the Rav in the Young Israel in, in Richmond. And the well, I, I would there. assume, you know, in New York State that, that Mr. Rappel was more familiar with, there's probably a lot of, you know, sincere, extreme sincere feeling during Pesach. Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I would imagine in, in New York, you know, and also you have real much more real, sincere Jews who are inmates in, in New York. Right. Is, is that, isn't that true, uh, Mr. Abfogel? You, you, you have a combination. And one of the things that is incredibly compelling is when you have a Seder there and you see somebody with tattoos who looks like he hasn't had a Jewish experience in 20 years, all of a sudden singing Manishtana out loud in a tune that you recognize as a tune that he was probably taught as a kid and probably didn't have much Jewish experience uh, after that. And that that recognition that that person has for the Seder is incredibly, incredibly compelling. And the fact that you begin to think that Hashem put you in that place just to bring out that that memory for him and that maybe maybe he's going on a derech because of that. That's a positive derech. But, you know, also, I think a person doesn't say not just on Pesach, but every single day. Twice a day, I would say, see, a person can't say that without beginning to understand what Yitzhak Mitzrayim was. So, in other words, as we get to our next little part, people who have been incarcerated really appreciate Geula. They appreciate Chayrus. They appreciate a purpose in life like Akadosh Baruch Hu gave to Klal Yisrael when he took them out and, and gave them the job to be Avodim to the Rabboni Shalom. 
so, so in many ways that the experience, it's, it's a terrible thing to go through, but it actually, not only does it deepen the Pesach experience, but it also, uh, you know, galvanizes uh, a person if he's in the right mode for how he's going to be committed for life afterwards. Um, we've heard you, you, you know, Mr. Apple, will you, I'm sorry, I'm being familiar, but that's the way as please, friends. Please, look he's at willing, he's willing. Yeah. But, well, you know, you, 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 we talk about what can be done to, to, to show the type of Ava without a sensationalism uh, that, uh, you know, that other people have heard. You know, like I always said, you know, we, you know, we talk about movies a lot, as the guy who had been in prison. I don't want to be identified as that guy with that experience. It's not that I'm so super sensitive. I'll, 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 I'll strangle you if you mention it. But the point is, yeah, we're back. And that's it. Just like that character in Q&A, meaning, yeah, basically, it's just normal. And, and, and the question is, what do we need to do to be able to achieve that? Uh, you know, again, and, and part of it, we, you know, so Yitzchak, you know, be completely out of bounds. But maybe the, ins- the, the increase of, incidences of sexual predatory crimes has put a, uh, a sort of like a, 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 a scab under everybody to the point that even though somebody was imprisoned for whatever it was, whether, whatever, but it was nothing to do with a sexual crime at all, but, but the, the, that, uh, you know, repulsion that, that the community has sort of like spread beyond do you think that's possible, Willie? That that's part of what's going on? Like, you know, like this guy was. If a person was, if a person was in prison because of, you know, he had been involved in ch- child porn or something like that, and, and 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 those people, I think, and again, I'm not getting. There, there's this fear of 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 having anything to do with them even afterwards, and I think that's sort of like by by association relates to anyone, no matter for whatever reason. Right. They, Correct. I think what you're saying is absolutely correct. I think what's happened is by osmosis, anybody who's uh, had a run-in with the criminal justice system is automatically assumed to have, you know, some sort of connection to the rapist, some sort of connection to a murder or a violent criminal. Therefore, they're, you know, they're kind of they're thrown into that mix and they're all in that same category. And, you know, one of the things that unfortunately people that I've spoken to have told me is you, you find out who your friends are. Because if you thought you had 100 friends before, you may only have five friends left afterwards. And, 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 and as you say, Yitzchak, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that 100% because, you know, when you, when you made this suggestion that, you know, NCSY or, or BBYO, one of these groups would would start a pen pal program, you know, that was like the first thought that I had is they're, they're never going to allow that because who knows who they're dealing with? Who knows that, you know, that, that, that suspicion, even though that's not who they're dealing with necessarily, it could be. Uh, certainly my experiences have largely been with those communities, uh, both in uh, Petersburg as a magnet prison for, for those um for those crimes because you know they generally have to be housed separately often for their own protection um but uh also in waymart probably the the majority of our jewish or jewish identifying inmates actually are from those types of crimes um and also in the mental hospital where where i'm a chaplain we have a lot of 
uh, you know, uh, residents there who have served uh, served time for those crimes. And now, and, you know, it seems to me that, again, whether this could happen or not, because we always like to pigeonhole everybody, um, is we need mental health experts and education, professional educators to teach people about where does recidivism uh, sprout and where do we say the person has actually, quote unquote, learned their lesson. Uh, and, and therefore, just like anybody who's made a mistake, uh, we, you, just like everyone in their own life who's made mistakes and says, no, I can be different, just like our wives my wife constantly upbraids me for mistakes I've made. And, oh, you didn't remember you forgot that that time. Okay, but now I won't. I, this time I want to remember. We need to be able to teach people to know that there's a, there's a difference. Uh, and, and, and even if even if people do learn their lesson, people do understand that. And, and, and the same way everybody learns their lesson who didn't get caught, who was lucky not to get caught, but realizes they have to stop. Uh, doing what they were doing, but to be accepted. Um, so, I, you know, it's like you say, it's look, I, it would be, you know, unfortunate. And the, and the truth is, even if they haven't yet really recovered from a lot of these people, it's an illness. It's not just a, it's, it's, it's an addiction. It's an illness. It's not, uh, we, we can still minister to them. You know, again, the appropriateness maybe of children ministering to them, that's not, something but but as adults you know again and but children can minister to to other inmates but i'm just saying those particular inmates it's it's too it's too difficult to to do something like that but uh but you're right Yitzhak. i think that uh i wasn't i'm not i'm not saying they should be painted as monsters they should be we we have to have rahmanas on everyone but the yeah. idea when when Willie was talking about full integration, I think that's where you're, I think that's where people are, are nervous, and because they don't know, and because they don't know, they they overgeneralize, and I think that's that that's a big issue. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I I did it like I said, I did it myself. When I heard that idea, I was like, it's it's just not going to fly, even just practically. Not not I mean, because I know, and I know people like that, and I I have, you know, I have professional relationships with these people that I minister to them and, and I treat them with, with dignity and respect. I don't uh, belittle them. I don't, I don't berate them. I, I do my job, what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but, and it, but, right, but, but I think Willie it doesn't is, even cross my mind. Yes. I don't, I don't sit there thinking, Oh, this guy did this. You know, that's you, know not... Yitzchok, you are clearly unique in that way. I mean, your, your whole life history and the arc of what you've done uh, clearly but we're talking about making a change for everyone out there. Um, I think part of it, you know, is education and people understanding. And, um, you know, I, I think part of it is also, um, you know, undemonizing. And, and, and like it, should, it, it, you know, part of the problem, I think, Willie, is that when something is so taboo and you don't and you talk about it in hushed tones, it's another thing that like puts an air of scandal uh, towards something. I think that. Um, like, for example, I think I'll talk about my own situation with my sister, and I I think I've told you about that. It's like I don't know if I've told you about it, but my sister, uh, who was a developmentally disabled uh, woman, was in the 1950s. The options, you know, first of all, they were all called "quote unquote" retarded, and secondly, there was clear that you needed to take very aggressive actions. Uh, you needed to. Uh, my sister underwent. Um, shock 
treatments, electroshock treatments. And, um, you know, and, and she was, uh, when, when she became violent, um, the, the professionals uh, in, in, in Tennessee that were uh, advising, my parents advised institutionalizing her. Uh, which was what people thought to do because they considered her a threat to my brothers. Um, and, and of course, this led to a terrible life for her. Today, we have a different attitude towards people who are eminently disabled. Uh, but part of it is because we don't lock them up. Part of it is because we embrace them, we adopt them as, as part of our community. Uh, and, and part of it is that we talk about it. It isn't, you know, it isn't this, this terrible secret that we, we, that, like, we hide Boo Radley and we, you know, Boo Radley is locked up. Another movie reference for tonight, but of course, from the from from Harper Lee's book, you know, Boo Radley was a, a development disabled fellow who was who was locked up in the attic, right, and uh, uh, wasn't able to come out. I think part of it is that uh, if we take away that sort of scary stigma, in, in some ways, own up to its reality, I think that we can incorporate. People who have been, you know, using another movie jargon, these ex-cons. I know it's a, it's not a pleasant thing to say, but we can, we can incorporate ex-cons and people. I think in, in, a, in a greater way. Willie, do you think I have something there or not? Well, I, I think there's no question that we should be able to distinguish, and certainly there's enough information through transparency and websites and corrections departments and so on that you can certainly distinguish between people who are violent, people who have. Uh, issues with uh, molestation and so many, so many other problems versus people who made mistakes of a nonviolent nature, didn't physically harm or assault or do anything to, to somebody, and who, because of the way the system is, uh, unfortunately, ended up having to pay very heavy prices, whether financially, whether personally, whether losing family. I mean, so many different things that occur to people um, in these circumstances happened and to essentially begin losing acquaintances and friends and uh, employment opportunities. Government does a pretty good job of discriminating against people who have had felonies, uh, felony right. convictions. Right. We've talked about without, getting the vote, without, right? Right. We've we've, we've, about... Right. That's a whole separate issue. And that's, again, state by state is being dealt with. But I, I think the issue is not just about voting. The issue is about being able to be accepted back into society being able to be given what they call a second chance, which again, if the federal government allows a second chance, most likely state and county or city governments are not going to allow a second chance because somebody is going to be there to, to make the issue that people don't deserve a second chance. Yet, by the way, if you look at so many things in the news today, it just happened in Queens in New York City where three guys were convicted of a murder 20 years ago, I've spent 20 years in jail, and it turned out the prosecutor hid evidence from the defense that would have freed them 20 years ago. They wouldn't have had to spend 20 years in jail. So th there are also issues about people who are either totally innocent or people who are guilty of A, but because prosecutors have such tremendous discretion, and unfortunately, too many of them abuse it, they take that A and they turn it into B, C, and D to make sure they really put this person away and get a notch or a credit as a prosecutor to say, well, I was able to get 10 convictions. I was able to put people away for so long. And you know that's slowly beginning to change with criminal justice reform. And I think we have to embrace that, particularly as a community, 
But my, my point from the beginning of this was that we have to be able to distinguish between those people who are safe, who are not trying to abuse anybody or assault anybody or physically be violent with anybody, distinguish between those people and the people who represent some form of physical threat to their community. Well, you know, one of the ways I think we can do things is by leading, you know, I mentioned about demystifying it, and, 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 but also by leading by example. You know, I think that there are people who will give the jobs. People, yeah, he is, a, yeah, he served in prison. He's the next president. He's the president of the shul. And, 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 and you know what? If somebody raises their voice, they say, what, you have a problem with that? And, and, and I, More likely we're seeing shuls that there's been discussion, in fact, that at a good convention about two or three years ago, there was a panel that actually had a prominent Jewish leader in New York get up and say, we should not give aliyahs to people who are convicted of felonies. Which, again, goes against halacha, really. Uh, a person does tshuva, a person especially pays his price, and I think, I think we all know what you're saying is true. I'm sure you agree, Yitzchak, that many times the rap sheet has things in there which aren't a, the guy, as they, he copped a plea or whatever it's called in order to satisfy uh, the prosecution because he thought he would be getting off less with less time. But the oh, person- I've, I've seen that happen so many times that I, I have zero confidence in prosecutors. You know, I, I, uh, one, you know, I, I minister to all the religions as, as the supervising chaplain. And one of the popular things, especially Christians like to talk about is who, how do Jews view Satan, the devil? What is what is that in Judaism? And and when I explain to them that that the the, the, the Satan is the prosecuting attorney in in heaven, I would say you know it's it's probably very easy for you to see the prosecuting attorney as the devil. Um, and, and but it's true because they 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 go they 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 relish their work I think more than the actual Satan does. Uh, they they you know the the Gemara in Baba Basra says how the, the the Satan, you know, has certain Rahmanis, and I don't think these people have the have the actual Rahmanis that that Chazal say that the Satan himself. And I think many of them have been exposed. I think many of them who have uh, been so cotton mather like in terms of uh, witch hunts, as, as you know, ended up. We found out, you know, from many of their social media. Uh, fingerprints that some of these guys were Rishoyim Mamish, right? <laughs> and I mean, could have been I, prosecuted themselves. I mean, the fact that the federal uh, BOP has a something like a 97% conviction rate, I don't think points to, to, to the actual guilt of the people who are serving in the federal prisons as much. And, and I think it's different, certainly in Pennsylvania. I, I believe a lot more of the people that I serve actually did it. Most of them admit to it. It's a very different, whereas in the in the federal system, I, I mean, my Baba Alava Shalom was a nurse in prison, and she said, oh, everyone in prison says they're innocent. But when, when it, certainly when it comes to the federal system, I, I see that uh, a lot of these people really are innocent, really don't deserve to be there. They were pushed into some kind of plea bargain uh, because it, 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 they made it into a plea bargain system. And sometimes, sometimes the plea bargains are worth it. You know, I have friends you know, who I knew from the outside who took a plea bargain, they could have had five years and they, and they wound up, you know, with, with a little over a year. And that was the best they could hope for, even though I, I was witness to what actually went on, you know, when, but they, they took a plea bargain because it, it was just an easy way out. It was, uh, 
I think it's almost, I think it's similar to the funeral business. You know, when someone, when someone has a relative that's just died, the more, the, the funeral directors are uh, relishing the chance to talk to them because they know they're going to be able to get them to buy the most expensive casket and to agree to everything. None of them have the Yishavadas to take a look and to, to see exactly what the expenses are. And all of a sudden they sign away fifty, sixty thousand dollars or eighty thousand dollars for the funeral because they were in an emotional state of grief. They'd just been fighting cancer. And now you think they're going to start thinking about why this cost and that cost? When a person is arrested and a person has, has, has gone to trial and has had a guilty verdict and whatever is hanging above them, they're not able, despite their, their, their best intentions, I, I, I think that many people don't necessarily reason and, 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 they, and, they, and they grasp at, at something. Like oh, and they start believing in people when they shouldn't believe them. Not only that, but the, but but if you have one co-defendant, let's say you know the the case I'm thinking of, where where I know four people were convicted, um, in in in, in, a, in a case that I I saw exactly what was going on firsthand, and uh, the first one pleads guilty, second one pleads guilty, the other two have no choice. They uh, you know, so whether or not I, I, in my opinion, and and from what I saw of the case, they didn't, they didn't, not only they didn't commit the crime, but the, the other side, it was really a two-sided issue. The other side very openly committed the crime that, that the other people, you know, sat in prison for and the uh, and, and, you know, and it was uh, unfortunate. You're right. And again, it, there, there is, it's almost the worst situation to make the most important decisions that could affect you and affect you in the future. And having good counsel is exactly, not a lawyer, but someone who can counsel you properly. And, and sometimes the defense lawyers are the, are the problem. They're going to tell you, take a, take a plea bargain that's Wait. the best you can hope for. And, uh, and they wind up uh, you know, making real problems. You know, I, I talk often about the one inmate that I, you know, that I knew at, at uh, Petersburg, who he had to defend himself because his lawyer didn't even believe that he was innocent, and and that was supposed to be his defense lawyer. And how how could this? How could anyone talking about the episodes of Sesame Street that were the darkest um, subject matter that they brought up? And one thing that I think would help in in what we were discussing, you know, and and the goals that we were outlining here was that there was a a character on Sesame Street, uh, one of the puppets, who uh, who was a child of an incarcerated individual, and what that was like for this child, you know, that's a, a another ministry that's important. Are the, are the children of the people who are incarcerated? You know, I I remember. So one of know, the mu- one of the Muppets was, or the Sesame Street Muppets was yeah. was was known to be a character whose parents, or one of the parents, was in prison. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And and that really, I'm sure, any kid who was in that situation, who who saw that, probably felt the camaraderie with that Muppet. That um, you know, I, that's a, an extremely valuable. And we 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 don't. You got to start people young. I agree. And I think there's the, the some of the, you have the Sesame Street Muppets of all different stripes, and I think that's an important thing. Um, you know, and, and that that is a type of ministry. I know there there are Christian ministries that go out of their way to make sure that that the um, 
that the children of the incarcerated Christians have a Christmas present, and the Aleph Institute also tries to make sure uh, that the children of any uh, Jewish inmates uh, should have a Hanukkah present. You know, those type of gestures, really, those types of things go a long way, you know, because these are, you know, some these are victims of the system, you know, that the okay. their parents have taken away from them, you know. Yeah, Rabbi is making an incredibly important point about oh. that in terms of getting the um, the children and whether it's summer camp and, and gifts on Hanukkah and Christmas, it's, it's so meaningful, but it's also something, and here's in addition to the, uh, you know, opportunity we spoke about before, the community trying to welcome people back into the community. The other op real opportunity here is to be able to build bridges between Jewish communities, African-American communities, and Latino communities. Because at the end of the day, uh, more likely 90%, especially in, in larger urban areas of the population in prisons are African-American and Latino. And for those Jewish inmates who are in prison, for those people who are wow. interested in their advocacy, um, partnering with the organizations that support African-American Latino inmates is incredibly important because they can be helpful as it relates to Jewish inmates and we can be helpful as it relates to Latino and, and African-American inmates. And there are incredibly compelling stories and Olive and others can tell you and I, I've been told recently by people with the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, the difference that a positive relationship in prison between a Jewish and an African-American inmate has made on the outside to other people who are impacted by that encounter. So, so, you were, so what you're saying, Willie, is that if we work on bettering outside the prisons, our relationships with the I think they call it Latinx now. I don't know why. I think Latino is going out of style. Oh, I don't want sorry. To. I'm, right. I'm, I, I'm dating I, myself. Yeah, yeah. It was just yesterday. So you haven't dated yourself. They, the change just happened yesterday. But And, and it's, not, it's not very good Spanish. So I don't... <laughs> but anyway, whether it's the Latinx and, or the, um, the African-American community. So, but just building the bridges here will have a ripple effect everywhere. And especially in prisons, which are going to have a majority of the of, of the minority population there. <laughs> I know that sounds like a diff, uh, contradiction yes. in terms, but that's, and therefore, when they encounter Jews there, the Jew isn't going to be this devil other uh, guy that was the guy who owned the shop and was a, a ripoff artist, but was someone that they knew as a positive person on the outside. So that'll make those experiences when they occur, if not pleasant, but at least bearable and you're not going to have uh, persecution of because you know I can imagine look I've talked about um, I've talked about uh, situations where I know where you know Jews were um, you know uh, were, were singled out and and it's clear that uh, working and this is great what you're saying here is working outside of the context of prison just in general for to build what was happening in the 60s you know the the sense of Jews being helpful and supportive of African American uh, positions and situations is going to have a ripple effect. That that too, but I also believe that working in the context of trying to reform criminal justice, trying to improve conditions for those who are there, and bettering opportunities for alternative sentencing, taking away the tremendous discretion prosecutors have 
to tell somebody that if you don't take this five-year sentence plea, I'm going to go after you for 50 years. And again, they have that discretion to do that. If we can do that in partnership with African-American and Latinx or Latino, whatever they're called, organizations and entities, and demonstrate that A, we're doing it because of justice for, for your community as well, but we're also doing it because we have a self-interest. We're the same as you. We're prosecuted. Prosecutors hurt our community, maybe not in the same numbers as you, but we're partners here. We're doing something because it is, it's compelling for us to do it for you so that it doesn't get done to us too. And, and it can also protect uh, Jewish inmates. You know, there is, there is a perception that, oh, he's a Jew, he has money. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, I mean, I think you might be familiar with the story of, you know, a, a certain rabbi who did violent, you know, horrible things, but then his, his roommate and his cellmate tried to extort him and his family and I know Rev. Herschel Schechter was got in trouble for being vocal about that. And if we we can, you know, uh, prevent some things like that by, you know, making those bridges like like you're describing, it can actually protect people from being taken advantage of of being uh, of, of being abused in prison. Okay. Um, well, I see my attempt at trying to insert some sort of system. Why we really don't have, and and we really don't have very many Hanukkah movies either. It's not. Uh, you know, it's, there, there are so few really, uh, you know, Hanukkah movies, even though we discussed some of them, the few that there are. And, and a lot of it has to do with this uncomfortableness that, that the Jewish uh, filmmakers have about anything Jewish. They don't want to, they present the Jewish themes through non-Jewish lenses. You know, that's a, a theme that you find all throughout the history of Hollywood is, all, you know, the vast majority of the you know the studio heads were Jewish. The, a lot of the filmmakers were Jewish. A lot of the actors and actresses are Jewish, and the, all these Jewish uh, filmmakers and and the comedians—they'd always have a Christmas episode. They'd always have a, you know, a lot of uh, very goyish uh, ideas. And it's not that they were necessarily assimilating; they were expressing themselves Jewishly in a very different different way but they they avoided those uh those tropes so maybe instead of talking about an actual seder you know what what examples are there of a an archetype of a seder that's not actually a seder you know and and you know perhaps like those uh you know the thanksgiving uh thanksgiving, you're right avalon is definitely a, a an idea of the american jewish experience i think that's why they chose thanksgiving mm -hmm. but yeah, you're correct. I, I think what you're saying has a lot of value to it. They, I mean, kind of like the big fat Greek wedding was really, you know, a lot of people say that it was really a Jewish, uh, was, uh, you know. It, it was a way to basically lampoon a Jewish wedding without necessarily yeah. saying the Jew is there. But that's a, a total separate theme, I think, when we have characters that act Jewish but and, and have the mannerisms and the ideas associated with, you know, a Jewish way of thinking. But yet the filmmakers, are, for some reason, are, are, are afraid of attributing, you know, actually calling them Jews uh, directly. Um, and uh, I would say a great example of that to me is an Academy Award winning performance uh, by a, a great Jewish actor who very, I only remember him maybe once or twice playing a Jew openly, was Walter Matthau. Uh, Walter, yeah. Walter Matthau, I think, was even spoke Yiddish. I think he was actually 
for a while involved in, the, in the Yiddish theater as a, as, a, as a child. You can look that up. But his character in uh, Billy Wilder's The Fortune Cookie, uh, he plays Willie, the uh, brother-in-law, you know, who is the ultimate, ultimate shyster lawyer. And, um, you know, the, 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 the character, although he doesn't use any Yiddishisms, but very much a uh, very much a uh, uh, a Yiddish character. Um, you know, there's even one scene. You, I see you have not seen the fortune cookie because from the I don't hear you nodding uh, uh, appreciatively. Have you seen the fortune cookie, Yitzchak? No. Okay, no. then you are missing something. <laughs> because you know, basically, once Willie is able to. Um, uh, uh, to uh, to obtain the money that he wants. In other words, his brother-in-law has been in an accident, and he uh, uh, he encourages his brother-in-law to pretend that he's paralyzed in order to gr- get a, a, a great amount of money from the insurance companies. So mm-hmm. basically, what he's trying to do is the film is about this fraud that is trying he's trying to perpetrate the brother-in-law is the all-american actor jack lemon and jack lemon is being pushed to accept this fraud because he hopes that this way he'll get back his wife who has left him um and it's really also a it also the person who has injured him is an is an african-american football player and it happened on national TV. So there's also an interesting uh, play between the African-American community and, and sports. It really is a very uh, cogent satire and comment on where America was in, in, mid-19, in the mid-1960s. But the character of, uh, of, of Willie uh, is, is, is so clearly what we would call the, the shyster uh, opportunistic Jewish lawyer. But he's, not, but he's called Gingrich, I believe, Willie Gingrich. And in no way, shape, or form does, can that be considered a Jewish name. And I think Billy Wilder specifically uh, did not want to put the name, uh, give him a Jewish name. But I think he, his, his attitude, I think, represents a Jew who can beat the system. I think that's really what it was. You know, that was and you'll see it. You'll know what I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the Jew beating the system, I... I, I... There's the stories that are classically told among Hasidim on Parshas Achodesh. I don't know if you're familiar with these with these stories. And I, I, I the Igor Rabbonim sent out to us the stories this year, which, which I've always told for years and years every year on, on Parshas Achodesh. And uh, and it's supposed to be a segula for Parnassa to tell these stories. And and I was fascinated that I guess they sent us something from more like an Israeli. Uh, you know, one of the Gilead note that they send out, you know, all that are published in Israel. And it, it kind of struck me that the, the way that the stories were being told were just, they were Jews like gaming the system or not really being able to read cues from the, you know, even even was presented as kind of a Sidkis that they, they couldn't understand, you know. Uh, and I think they, it's unfortunate uh, to... to what you're saying because those are european archetypes that i think were brought over here and that i think has led us full circle unfortunately to jews who have been caught in white collar crime because they thought they can beat the system that the laws really didn't apply to them and they were a byproduct of an anti-semitic type of government that we were able to right and i think that's really allows opened up this cavalier attitude 
that these fine Yidin who would never think of, 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 of robbing the pushka box or anything like that would somehow take advantage of uh, and, 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 and be involved in the type of crimes that got them sent up, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so we have to choo- choose our heroes carefully in terms of that way. Well, that's about it, my friends. Uh, again, a, a big yeshakayach uh, to you, Yitzchak, and to uh, Mr. Rapfogel. I think that uh, I think he definitely kept us and enriched our conversation uh, in a way that we didn't go down the rabbit hole <laughs> as much as we usually do. Have a great Pesach, Yitzchak, and for all of you, be well. We hope to catch you on the other side. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.